Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. We're here with our very first guest, Mary and Sally. Hi. Marion, you were the pilot episode. You were episode one. You're where From the Ashes started. Yeah, and I'm just a little bit less nervous today. Not not much less, but you know. Panic attack is down one rung, but just you know what? <laughs> still high anxiety. But I'm so happy to have you back on to talk about a different topic. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about parenting. Yes. And specifically, this, I guess, idea or maybe experience of realizing that your kids are separate from you. You know, in my work as a psychotherapist, what I hear from my parents all the time being the hardest thing is watching their kids fail, right? Or having their kids not listen to them or having their kids make a decision, you know, go left when they would have went right. Mm -hmm. It's like agonizing. Yeah. The suffering that you see your kids go through is just heart-wrenching. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a parent yet. I hope to be one day uh, and I cannot wait for that to happen. (laughs) I cannot wait to... (laughs) have to do that because I do have a lot of strong opinions about the world. And I think it's, I think it's tough. Um, but I want to hear from you about what you, what you mean by over-identification, you know, with your kid or the merger that we were talking about a little bit before the show. Can you lay that out for our listeners? I think so. Um, well, what I mean by that is that somehow, um, just as people, not just as parents, when we um, talk with other people or we're asking our kids to do something or we have expectations for them. It's very, very difficult to step out of our own experience of any given context. So, you know, let's say I really want my kid to eat. This is a silly example, like all of their vegetables. And I happen to think that vegetables are good for them, but even more so, you know, I like the taste of them and I might sort of push my kids to eat all of their vegetables um, when they actually don't like um, in a sort of vehement way, you know, peas or something like that. And I'm sort of, um, you know, pushing them into um, an uphill battle to get them to sort of feel and think the way that I do. And ultimately, that's not very helpful. Um, I don't want to give the impression that, you know, it's not important to have boundaries with your kids and to have um, sort of like little fences around them that help them to keep safe and to make good decisions um, around their health and um, relationships and those kinds of things. But it's really important when you're working with your kids to remember that they have their own experience of whatever is going on. And part of parenting is to sort of try to understand both that they're having a separate experience from you and to sort of be curious about what that experience is so that you don't end up having just conflict all the time. Yeah. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's great. You know, you work as a psychoanalyst in Boulder. And when I hear you talk, I'm like, wow, that's a really just emotionally mature way (laughs) To relate with people, right? Uh-huh. Like it's really hard to to Very separate difficult. and disentangle 
uh-huh. from that? Yeah. Well, um, it's not like, you know, uh, that's a superpower that I have. It's something that I continue to work with both with my clients and also with my um, adult children. We were joking before the show. It would be really interesting to have a conversation about parenting with my two adult daughters, Peepie and Turtle Dove. Those are their nicknames on the show and like really hear from them um, what they have to say about their upbringing and parenting and how I did or didn't hold them in mind. And um, the same with clients, you know, how am I at really like being curious about what's happening for them? How am I at listening? And um, where am I sort of falling short by having, um, by making subtle assumptions about um, what they think or feel and or sort of over identifying with them and their experience, which is sort of a, a, a trap that um, of course I fall into um, both with my clients and friends and family. And um, I think it's a very common one. But, mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I remember, what was it? I probably didn't have the experience until early in my college, right? I realized that people didn't think the way that I think. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Or that people's brains work differently, whether that be, you know, yeah. processing at different speeds, which is like uh-huh. hard to even comprehend. I, I mm-hmm. mean, I think both of us are very quick processors. So it was difficult for me to like understand people that just like literally take longer to like make sense of things. Right. That was like just very foreign to me. Um, Uh Or, you know, people that just pay attention to different things and whether that be noticing different stuff, right? Like, you know, I have, you know, the person I'm dating right now has a a wonderful eye for beauty, Uh right? And like aesthetic Mm -hmm. and like those like little tiny moments where it's like my brain just doesn't even comprehend that details they just escape you I I know that about you as well so in a lot of areas but I think you're also speaking to um, what it means to be a fast processor and I'm sort of making quotation marks in the air sometimes being a fast processor means that you actually are jumping to these assumptions that are unquestioned or just you know just letting your biases and ideas about things just sort of run the show and not slowing down enough to really listen to the other person and um, hear what they had to say. Mm, and I think the other sort of pitfall there, I know it happens with me and maybe with you, again, whether it's with clients or friends or family, is that um, I don't give them enough time to say what they have to say. And maybe I can even appear uninterested. There might be a small part of me. I'm sort of laughing when I say small, a little tongue in cheek, but um, that feels like, oh, well, you know, that's not really that important moving on, you know? And so um, I think it's again, important to sort of slow down and, um, you know, hold the other person in mind and make space for their, creative and different way of viewing the world that can really actually do a lot for you um, as the person on the listening end. Oh, for sure. I fall into all those pitfalls, right? Like <laughs> I feel like I can like, complete people's sentences, you know, totally. in their mind, you know, uh-huh. I, I, I want to preface saying I've gotten better, but I, I can still be a very judgmental person, right? Where right. I'm just like making oh, conclusions God. about a person yeah. while they're talking. I'm just like, okay, yep, 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 yep. Checking these boxes, these boxes, check it, check it. Okay, great. Okay. Got it. Right. Like created like a little avatar of them. And, and it's like, I mean, I'd say it's mostly wrong, but sometimes it's right. And I think that sometimes being right is what keeps me hooked on it. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like, it's like gambling, right? It's like, it doesn't always hit, but when it does, I feel like a super genius. 
Well, uh, what you're talking about there makes me think of a couple things. Um, one thing is the idea of judgment. Um, and again, we're going to apply this like to our kids. I think, you know, um, it might come up very strongly with teenagers. Like I would say very more overtly with teenagers. We might have a lot of judgment around what our teenagers do or don't do. You know, they're at the age where they're sort of pushing back against us. So I want to say that it's perfectly natural, normal, reasonable for you to have a judgment, you know, based on your experience. It's not it's not about not having one. It's about what you do with that judgment as a parent or um, a friend or a therapist. You, you, that, that judgment arises in you. And again, you're like, oh, well, that's my judgment. Let me be curious rather than just let that judgment push me into, you know, creating conflict or distance with someone that I'm trying to be in relationship with. Um, and again, I, I also want to say that it's not that conflict is um, something to avoid necessarily. But um, they're, you know, more and less uh, healthy ways to engage in conflict. And the other thing that you um, that came to mind when you brought up, um, oh my gosh, you know, we're judging and not really listening, is I have to say that it really wasn't until, um, gosh, this might have been like really like 2011. Um, I can't remember exactly, but you know, I was doing an inter internship for. Boulder Institute for Psychotherapy and Research, and um, I was holding like a roundtable discussion um, in the form of sort of a group process, and a colleague of mine um, named CJ um, actually pointed out that I was talking over both Brittany and Tori, and um, that would be Peapie and Turtle Dove um, <laughs> in that order, and wow. And while um, she did it in a very kind way, but it was also very direct. But I have to say, as much as that sort of like stabbed me, it both it 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 sort of woke me up a little bit to um, sort of how I had been operating, and um, and I guess that uh, from that point, and not that I hadn't been sort of building to that, I was like, wait, I really I need to do this differently, especially with my daughters. I hadn't really extrapolated from my sort of learning around um, being a psychotherapist, I hadn't really brought that, that piece, I hadn't brought um, strongly into my relationship with my daughters. So um, thanks, CJ. <laughs> Do you have, a, I love that story. Do you have another example of before that moment of when you did over-identify with your children or when you oh. did kind of like feel more of their pain or, or that judgment or whatever it was. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. Well, I, I guess I want to say that I, I, I do continue to feel their pain and it's sort of like the judgment piece. It's not about not feeling it and having that really strong, strong sense of empathy. That's an important experience. Um, but it's more what, you know, what I do with that feeling. So, um, Gosh, I wish you could think of something specific. Uh, nothing's really coming to mind right now specific about that. But uh, what I can say is that, um, you know, when they would come to me with a problem per se, or, you know, I would experience them as being um, angry at me or even sad, a lot of times, I would feel that feeling so strongly within myself that I couldn't respond appropriately in order to help them. I didn't even really know to ask myself, and this is going to sound really strange, how can I help 
this person as an individual, you know, I immediately would just go into action. Um, so let's say, you know, something happened with a friend at school, I would just, I would just go into action and be really mad at that friend and, um, and, and sort of say to my, my daughters, like, well, why do you say this to them? Why don't you say to that, that to them? So my anxiety about their suffering really caused me to just like flood them in a way. And um, similarly, whenever we would um, engage in conflict, because of course, you know, um, you fight with your kids, you fight with your partners or, and your family. But what would happen to me is that um, because I had such a strong, strong need for them to love me rather than um, or uh, in conjunction with my sort of loving them as who they are, and I didn't, it was hard for me to sort of parse out that distinction. If they um, didn't do what I said or um, didn't sort of even take my advice, um, then I would take it very personally and it would give me the feeling that they didn't love me, which, you know, wasn't necessarily the case. But, and again, my own insecurities, which if you last listen to the last podcast, you know that, you know, I certainly had many of them that it would sort of trigger my own insecurities and make me want to just clamp down even tighter and control a situation rather than like taking a deep breath, sort of stepping back, listening to them fully, asking questions that would allow them to sort of process what was happening for them, maybe come to their own conclusions and um, go from there. So, uh, yeah, I hope that answers the question. It was kind of a, a long. Um, oh, it definitely does. Yeah, I think that experience of wanting to fix or wanting to save or wanting to insulate your kid from suffering yeah. is really common. Right. You know, and I mm -hmm. think that is, I don't know, I'd be curious what you think about this. Where my mind goes, I think that's part of love. Yes. But, it's, but I do think it's like a misguided part of love. Yeah, I think that it can be, there's a potential to sort of take it to the extreme where you don't actually allow the other person um, to have experiences that um, create an environment where they can actually learn from their own decisions and processes. And what you or I might think of as a mistake, it might actually not be a mistake for them. So we're, especially as they age, we're looking at, you know, this kid gets to kind of decide where they want to go in life. And part of sort of figuring that out is about having a variety of experiences, some that work for them, some that don't, you know. Um, so it, 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 there's, no, there's no black and white here. There's just not, there's not a, a, a tidy resolution. You know, there's not an answer. It's really about being in the process. Yeah, and... I uh, this image of you kind of like, it's like watering a garden, right? It's like more of a nurturing type stance mm -hmm. rather than trying to control or build, right? It's not like, you're like constructing a human, right? You're just, no. you're nurturing oh. a human. You're, yeah. Um, I think it, it uh, was one client of mine that used the word shepherding. Um, oh, yeah, sort of I like shepherding. Yeah. It's so lovely. Um, your children sort of from birth on, you know, you're available to them, you're guiding them. You know, even again, we're, we're talking more sort of verbally, um, but even pre-verbally, you know, um, there's ways to sort of check in with them. 
um, as far as what's going on for them, you know, and, um, and, and it's a little bit of an experimentation around getting to know this little human that's in your life that you are now in charge of. For sure. I mean, the thing that comes to mind, which is something that I geez, continue to work on is just tolerating difference. Yeah. Can you say you, more about that, Mark? I will say more <laughs> about that. Like just being able to be around people that have different values, different conclusions, different opinions, you know, and not either want to debate them and convince them in that my thing is right. Right. Mm-hmm. Or not wanting to dismiss them and being like, Oh, well, I don't understand this or I don't respect this or whatever. Like just, you know, get out of my life. I think those are my two defaults. Right. Right. Maybe it's like a fight or flight now that I say that out loud, but there's yeah. something around like either yeah. push away or, or attack almost. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been an ongoing work. I think my therapy practice certainly helps with that of just being able to sit in a place of um, quite frankly, like, confusion right and listening and being like how did you get there or like what is happening like what how does your brain work Uh yeah no I really appreciate that um well uh you know bringing it sort of back to parenting in particular parenting is really confusing um in part because we think we're supposed to know how to do it we have our own ideas that are telling us to do it a particular way. And then you come into contact with this little being outside of yourself. It's like, no, 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 I want to do it this way. And um, when you're talking about difference, your child is a different person from you. And as much as you are sort of tasked to, you know, help them learn to be in the world, um, help them learn about values and morals they still may have a different sort of configuration of all of those things. And so they are not you. They're going to have different ideas and feelings about all of those things. And um, uh, as a therapist doing therapy, whether it's, you know, with adults or kids, or um, that's another really important thing to hold in mind is that this person across from you, you know, they have their own experience of everything, including the conversation that you're having. So often as a therapist, and I think you can do this with your kids as well. I try to do this is be like, how's this like landing for you? You know, you're just um, creating an approximation of understanding. There's not going to ever be a full union of knowing another person. For sure. And that's a crazy thing with like memory research, right? Is that you can have oh. two people watch the same movie and oh. remember it differently. Mm-hmm. Right, point out different details, have different experiences, right? Same like you have two people have the same one hour conversation and they're gonna right. literally going to have two different conversations, which is like mm-hmm. very trippy. Um, so we're yes. going to move into our commercial break now. But when we okay. come back, we're going to hear from you some more practical tips, pragmatic tips, okay. some stories about, you know, differences that you found that were maybe difficult for you to tolerate. Um, for those of you listening, especially those parents out there, this is one that you don't want to miss. Uh, Mary and Sally is an expert both as a mother and as a uh, therapist at Boulder, Colorado. So hang in there and we will catch you on the other side of the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. 
His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Mary and Sally, and we're talking about parenting. You yeah. know, not over-identifying with your kids, not trying to control them or judge them, and really understanding, tolerating difference, not just of like beliefs and values, but literally of how their brain works or them being a separate individual being. And we're focusing on parenting, but I think it's also true for people in romantic relationships. It's true with, in our work as therapists. Um, it's probably true as, you know, being team leaders, working with other people. I mean, this is just really how do you hold other people in mind? How do you have empathy um, and a complex relationship with other people? Yeah. Um, before the break, we were uh, sort of thinking about particular instances where maybe I experienced some over-identification that caused me to sort of... Uh, be reactive towards um, uh, my girls. And I can really think of one area in particular that just would send me like through the roof. And um, and any sort of resistance to my way of thinking about it would sort of ignite that fear in me that, you know, that um, they were going to head down the wrong path. And also that they didn't love me because they weren't like doing, you know, what I wanted them to do and holding something in mind in the same way that I was. But um, a big thing for me was around like drug and um, alcohol experimentation. Um, I remember distinctly, you know, um, <laughs> hearing from um, my oldest daughter, you know, that she'd been at someone someone's house partying. And um, she hadn't told me about it before that, you know, she was kind of saying in a way that she knew would get my goat because I'd all, I'd always, you know, sort of given her my goat when she talked about it, um, you know, drinking or experimenting. And um, 
when she told me about that, you know, it really sent me into like a spiral. And it wasn't um, until, you know, sort of many years later that what I realized was going on was not that um, it wasn't appropriate for her to be experimenting on some level within some bounds. But um, what was happening is that, you know, I was having sort of like what you might call an emotional flashback from my own childhood where, you know, I have an alcoholic father um, and I had um, some family members that were heavily into drug use and it read, it really led them down um, a path of, you know, self-destruction and my own experience with drugs and alcohol you know, led me into some situations that were um, very, very unsafe for me. And I just didn't want that uh, for my daughters. And so, um, you know, I just sort of, you know, lose my uh, connection to the present moment and to actually what's happening uh, with my own daughter and, um, and or daughters. And um, instead of sort of being curious and talking about perhaps safety and my availability to them, you know, regardless of what happened, I just jumped on them. And in this one case, I told my oldest daughter that, you know, she couldn't go over to this person's house anymore at all. And I would hear nothing about it. And I was having like a fight with the mom and all of this stuff. And um, many, many years later, um, you know, much to my uh, daughter's credit, she told me how hard that was for her um, that I had disallowed her to see this very, very close friend of hers because, you know, it really was her best friend. And, and that was a huge uh, source of support for her. Um, her father and I were divorced at that time. And so this, it really felt like, you know, a space of sanctuary where she could um, go and be with this particular person um, and their family and just kind of be herself. Um, if I was doing it, now, and this is sort of what I talk to um, my teen parents about, I really would have checked in with her, found out what was happening, had a more um, regulated conversation with the other mother. And I probably would have expressed my concerns like, hey, I don't really, you know, I don't necessarily want that to be happening at your house. Can you let me know if that's going to go on? And, you know, I'll take care of it on my end. I also would have um, really created a space for um, my older daughter to talk to me about those experiences so that she felt like she could continue to talk about them instead of pushing them underground. And in which case I had no idea what was going on and it would sort of lead her in the same position that I was in when I was a teenager, which ironically I was trying to avoid. Again, her feeling sort of alone in sort of her um, experiences as you know, um, uh, a young person. And um, uh, another consequence of that was that my youngest daughter kind of quit telling me anything about what was going on. Mm -hmm. That's really common. Kinds of that's, that's what I did. Yeah, that's exactly um, uh, what happened and very common. And, um, and that daughter and I have talked about that too. And um, we worked through um, some of those sort of um, struggles around communication. And we've been able to work through it because um, even in the midst of all this, we're still very committed to one another and our relationship. And they both allow me to evolve uh, as much as I sort of 
hold them in mind as separate people and allow them to evolve and come to their own thinking. And you said, Mark, that, um, that that's kind of what happened to you in your upbringing that you felt uh, that you couldn't share. Oh, for sure. I mean, there was a lot of things that happened, but that was certainly one dynamic of just, you know, every time I would share, be vulnerable or present something like, I don't know, taboo or like scary or something that even that wasn't like fully formed, uh-huh. right? My parents would launch into like a lecture or try to set a rule, which I think right. is really common, right? And I, and totally. I don't think that's like bad parenting. I think that just happens for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that did for me is it, it like from a very just kind of cost benefit analysis standpoint, really disincentivized me from talking to my parents uh-huh. because I would, I just simply wasn't getting the experience that I was needing at that moment or that I was desiring at that moment. You know, mm-hmm. I was trying to share something that was a little bit scary or a little bit sketchy or a little bit just confusing for me. And what right. it was met with was anger and judgment. Yes. So at some point I was like, nah, I don't want any of this anger or judgment. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to not tell you anything, which mm-hmm. led to me, you know, shutting down um, in the best case and the worst case led to me lying, you know, and just like putting mm-hmm. up a facade and just, you know, d- disconnecting from them in that emotional way of just being like, yeah, I, I don't trust them with some parts of information from my life. And that, you know, that, that hurts, right? Because I, I, I know I do. I imagine most people do have this image of like what a parent should be. And to go back to parents, I'd imagine a lot of parents have an image of what a child should be. Yes. Right? And what, and what that relationship yeah. looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never that, you know, I mean, it's, it's always a kind of a unique dynamic between the, between the parties involved. Well, that um, brings something else to mind. Um, I can't really take credit for these ideas, of course, you know, but um, uh, there's an idea that not only um, is the parent-child relationship just unique in general to other relationships, but your relationship with each of your children is different. And so whatever, um, however you're engaging with one child might not be an appropriate way to engage with another child. You know, one of your children may need more or less boundaries. They need, they may need more or less even communication about those boundaries, you know, where one child, they feel safe and comfortable in saying, and just hearing, okay, here are the boundaries. This is what they are, you know, act within them. And then they can sort of develop into like a more sort of uh, semi-permeable boundary. Um, you have, you might have another child where it's really important for you, for them, for you to have a conversation with them about why this boundary is in place and what you're holding in mind and, um, and how you're holding them in mind when you're making this boundary. And again, it's not about getting it perfectly right. It's about being in it, being flexible, and um, just continuing to develop together. Yeah, it's a really dynamic thing, you know. Very I, dynamic. Like, <laughs> and I think parents like want want a solution, right? They want the guidebook, they want the manual, they want like a method or a, set, a rule set that will just like ensure a child. Um, you know, it, it, it makes me think. I wonder if what do you think about this? Of like, yeah. why is parenting so hard? Right. Because you would think it would be like some kind of biological thing. Like animals seem to do fine as parents. Right. Um, or, you know, by the needs of what they need. Obviously, they're not nurturing them and teaching them like language and skills and stuff. But they have this like instinct. But with humans, it's like it's very complicated. I think it's very overwhelming for a lot of people. I think it's our big old brains. 
you know, because um, we too have many, all too these, many wrinkles, too many, right? Too many, too much gray matter in there. Um, well, because we we come into our parenting with our past experiences, sort of like dragging them behind us, and most parents, you know, really, really want what's best for their kids, and part of what they feel is best for their kids is based on their own experience, what they did or didn't get, you know, and, um, and as I said earlier, we also bring our own experiences of sort of like being met or not being met, you know, being rejected, being abandoned, um, our needs to control in order to give ourselves a feeling very difficult. And um, I think that oftentimes parents, in their love come from such a place of fear that something negative is going to happen to their child. And, um, you know, I'm sure that um, a very sort of science-minded person could find uh, deeper information about this, but um, I think that they are uh, a particular kind of ape that they've done a lot of studies on. You know, when the parent of a particular ape has had a traumatic experience, even in the wild, it can impact their parenting, you know, with their um, young little ape. So it's not just exclusive to um, human animals that we sort of bring our past experiences into the forefront as we sort of nurture our um, offspring or children. Yeah, I think that really calls for the importance of some kind of self-work, whether that be therapy, introspection, spiritual practice, whatever it is. Because, yeah, even in your stories, and I think it's true for everybody, right? We get triggered by stuff that happened to us because yeah. that conditions us to see the world in that way and to really try to defend against those threats. Mm-hmm. You know, and if those threats are not processed or understood or integrated, they're always going to be out there, right? They're always going to be like the boogeyman in the closet. Right. I think, you know... Um, Mm, one of the distinctions that we may have, even though um, a lot of somatic therapy really helps with this, is that some animals, um, non-human animals, let's say zebras per se, or, you know, deer, when they've been attacked, but sort of have escaped, or you might even see your dog do this, they, they shake it off. You know, it doesn't mean that it's not in there somewhere, but they sort of have a way of sort of letting go of those very acute traumatic experiences and moving on. Um, and humans have sort of less of a, I don't know if they have less of a capacity, but we haven't really sort of trained ourselves to sort of do that. And um, it makes it difficult to just like move on. So we just talk and talk and talk. And I think one of the beauties of therapy, what, um, what it sort of teaches you to do is really to ask yourself, gosh, why am I doing what I'm doing? And that's a wonderful, wonderful question to ask yourself as a parent. Why am I responding to my child in this particular way? Why do I have these particular rules? You know, um, and it's not sort of like a uh, the sort of negative sort of like interrogation why, it's the curious why. What's going on that I feel this way is a little bit sort of a, a kinder, gentler way to ask yourself that question. Yeah, I think just using I'm hearing is like using parent or using your child as like a mirror for your own self development, mm-hmm. right? You know, and I think to this idea that I know I experienced growing up that I hear from my clients all the time. I think it's a human experience, right? When you're a kid, most kids have this memory. So if they came from, you know, a challenging household, 
of realizing that not all families are like their family. Yeah. You know, you go to a friend's house or you're on like a school field trip or whatever. And you're like, oh, wait, hold on. Like those moms don't talk like my mom talks. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like their dad is like here and in the house or I don't even see my dad or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's that real just a moment of where the world opens up and it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Like this isn't my whole universe. Right. And I imagine for parents, like there's got to be something similar, right? Where you realize that you don't parent in the same way of other, as other parents do, as other families do. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful uh, point that you bring up. Um, as kids begin to move into the world and they see differences, you know, they begin to question those differences. And so then uh, conflict can occur and experimentation can occur that the parent um, uh, may or may not be down with. And I think it can also bring to light some of the parents' anxieties around, like, how are other people going to think um, about my parenting? You know, what thoughts are they going to have about me in regards to my parenting? And so, whew, all of that's a lot going on, you know, and, and how you hold those things in mind or what sort of thoughts or feelings come up for you are really um, dependent upon your own experiences. So if you're doing therapy as a, um, as a parent or just as a person, or if you're doing sort of like parenting classes or support groups, um, it's so wonderful because those experiences of like anxiety and fear and insecurity are normalized. And in some ways, once they're normalized, it's like you can sort of take a deep breath and really get on with, um, that self-exploration that's so essential to good parenting. You know, when I, when my clients that are parents talk to me, they all say the same thing uh, where they say like, you know, when my kids started going back to school, it was like I was in school again, uh-huh. especially when dealing with the other parents, the other, you know, moms and dads and, and mm-hmm. like the, or the PTA or the field trip or whatever, or coaching, uh-huh. <laughs> right. Soccer. Um, did you have that experience? Like, did you get thrown back into your school experience when your kids got older? Um, meaning did I have to sort of relearn, uh, had a parent? Is that what you're kind of asking? I'm thinking I'm actually more like regress back to being like a high schooler, right? When your kids are in high school, you know, oh. going back and feeling those old feelings or <laughs> oh, getting thanks. into those yeah, old dynamics. You. Yeah. Thanks for that clarification. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think what it brought up in me again, were all the fears about how I was whenever I was a teenager and the suffering that um, it caused me and that I didn't want for my kids. And on one level, that's really important to know, like, whoa, I think I was going down the wrong path. And so I want to sort of shepherd my children into a slightly different path, but I don't want to like sort of overwhelm them and clamp down on their, their experience seeking. And I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about any kind of experience, you know? Um, that's really important. Yeah. So I want to hear more about that on the other side of the commercial break, as well as sharing some practical tips or some strategies or things that could be helpful for listeners that are parents that are wanting to, you know, maybe shift their parenting style a little bit after hearing you talk. Okay. Um, So hang in there. I will catch you on the other side of the break. Okay. Okay. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark dash azulay.teachable.com that's mark m a r c dash azulay a z o u l a y dot teachable.com 14s by teens and about teens tune into the uncensored and unedited discussions with young adults on express yourself every sunday at 3 p.m. pacific time and 6 p.m. eastern time on the voice america empowerment channel Smart, tenacious teen hosts and reporters from around the country speak up and speak out. Express yourself. Visit the website for the show to find out more at expressyourselfteenradio.com. And check out the show on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call one 888 346-9141 That's 1-888-346-9141 Or send an email to podcast at mark-azulay.com Now, back to From the Ashes. So before we went into break, we were talking about this experience that I have not yet experienced, but I've heard of, right? Where a parent can get thrown back into old memories or old history when their kid turns a certain age. So for instance, right, if, you know, for me, right, I was bullied in like elementary school. So I I can imagine that when my child reaches elementary school age, I might start feeling bullied in my life. I might be hypervigilant to bullying happening. Mm -hmm. I might like feel shy and shut down. I might actually over-identify with my child and get thrown into that uh that mindset did was that your experience Marion? did you have any of those kind of like weird regression moments yeah it's, it's funny i when you talk about it, regression as a moment i think of it as like that was basically my experience your whole life yeah, having kids. um you know and it's interesting that you bring up the bullying thing um i know it talked a little bit last time about sort of my experience with social anxiety and a lot of that um, came from my experiences being bullied, and um, uh, I believe that kind of what happened for me with Brittany and Tori is that anytime anyone was like mean to them, I went I went right into my own sort of regressed fight place, which is 
where I was sort of on the playground, you know, metaphorically speaking. So if someone <laughs> said something to me, anything really, um, or was mean to me, you know, I would just uh, beat them up, basically. You know, I did get to a place where I was like, if you say that to me again or do that again, then I'm going to like, you know, wrestle you to the ground. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I sort of learned to use my words a little bit, but um, but I was always in that sort of uh, hyper aroused, you know, fight place. Um, in that instance, I didn't really get shut down. I was just a fighter. And, um, you know, people might not be surprised about that if they know me. <laughs> but um, bring down the hammer. Yeah. The hammer of justice. <laughs> so when the girls would bring those things to me or when I felt like they were being treated unjustly, you know, um, in school or in other situations, you know, I my immediate reaction it was just to like fight and um, to get in there and talk to the teacher and you know, make it happen. I didn't want them beating, beating up on other kids, you know, but they could certainly feel, and I was very clear about that, but my whole impulse was like, let's put a stop to this, you know, um, even now when I'm talking about it and thinking about them being uh, bullied in some way, you know, I can feel it in my whole body. So clearly that hasn't, you know, entirely left me, but um, upon sort of introspection and asking myself, gosh, why am I having such a strong reaction? Um, that enabled me to sort of take a deep breath, literally and figuratively, and, you know, ask them, okay, you know, how do you feel? What's going on for you? Is this something that you want me to help you with? Um, what would that help even look like? Here are some strategies. Um, you know, uh, even saying things like, okay, well, let's try this. And, um, you know, I want you to know that I'm here to support you. You know, let's try this first before we sort of take this other more extreme measure. And um, yeah, it's, it, uh, you know, I know the audience is listening and can't really see my face, but it's, um, it's kind of amazing how much of a bodily sensation I still get around that, you know? Um, so the other thing I think to keep in mind is like, it's not about sort of extinguishing necessarily these reactions. Again, it's just about working with them. And over time, they become uh, ideally sort of less and less intense. And then that enables you to not act so impulsively to those feelings that arise in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious as you're talking, because those are great suggestions. I think they'd work fantastic with like a teenager. Yeah, Yes. Right. But yeah. I wonder, what do you think about someone that has younger children yeah. where they really can't do some of that critical thinking? Right. Like right. if you say like, hey, do you want my help with this? They don't I mean, they don't they, know. They don't know. So right? you, you sort of give them sort of an emotional communication around it and you do your best. You do your best job to kind of understand what's happening for them. So if your kid. um mm, is having even like a struggle at school, like let's say with their schoolwork or even, you know, even in preschool, if they just had a bad day at school and they come home, but you're in a hurry, you know, and your sort of response to their um, acting out, if you will, like crying or, um, uh, you know, talking back, not necessarily with their words, but, you know, just with their behaviors, 
that's more a sign for you that, ah, oh, something's up. It's a sign for you to sort of realize, oh, I need to slow down to the best of my ability. Again, I know there's all kinds of constraints around time and you've got to be somewhere. Maybe you've got to be back to work. Maybe you've got some other kids that you know, your own kids that you know you need to be there for. But the important thing is that rather than, you know, just um, jumping in and a trying to fix it really quickly to get it over with, or just, you know, um, sort of berating your kid in some way. Um, the important thing is to take that deep breath and check in with your kid, maybe ask them to come over, give them a hug, you know, um, and um, if they're even younger than that, you know, you, you, you go through the motions of trying to figure out sort of what they need, you know, are they hungry? Are they tired? Are those things sort of um, informing even their early experience uh, during the day that's making it hard for them to regulate? Uh, one of the most important jobs of a parent, which I sort of failed miserably at, but, you know, over the years have gotten so much better um, at is, um, is maintaining my own regulation or regulating so that I can also help my child to regulate. And um, not only does that happen sort of on a very electrochemical level between you and your child, but it happens um, in a sort of uh, you're serving as an example for how your child can manage stressful um, situations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it does. As you're talking, you know, as a practical tip, I my mind just goes to meditation or mindfulness of this ability to create those little gaps and create those little pauses in your experience, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking about those words, meditation and mindfulness. Well, you know, I love those words. You love those words. You are so familiar with those words. And I think that, um, but for some people, even sort of using those words can be almost off-putting mm -hmm. or, or sort of like, oh, that's something else that I have to do. But really, um, all it is, is slowing down just a little bit and doing a little tiny bit of self-inquiry, like, what's happening right now? You know, I'm not able to calm down. Um, and as a practice, again, in sort of quotation marks, the more that you do that, the easier it'll become to sort of get into that space when your kid, whether it be your big kid, who's coming into your bedroom at 11 o'clock at night wanting to have a conversation and you're trying to sleep, which, you know, one of my children... <laughs> did all the time um, or it's your two-year-old who's just throwing a fit in the store and kicking their their feet you know you see that happen you can kind of take a deep breath before you uh, respond to it right. what do you think about that I think that's it right I think that's it it's like creating those like little breaks pumping the brakes a little bit mm -hmm. to respond instead of reacting yeah. You know, and I think yeah. the first thing is hopefully by, you know, listening to podcasts or doing your own self-inquiry to realize how reactive we can all be. Yeah. Right. Like that's yeah. the biggest thing that I, you know, I think we share is kind of working analytically is that there is unconscious, right. And there are a lot of things that we just snap mm -hmm. and just do without mm -hmm. really any free will at all. Right. They're just automatic things that happen. Right. And that's a wild thing to start to witness and start to see. Yeah. And we've been talking a lot about um, these sort of uh, 
negative reactions. And again, I put that in quotation mark, but you know, a lot of parents sort of go to the other side where they're so afraid of harming their kid that they don't give them any boundaries, right. you know? Right. Totally. And um, that's another way of, um, or they sort of insulate them and protect them from everything, you know, and, and that's another subtle way of not giving them the idea that they can actually sort of um, come to their own conclusions about things. You know, if we sort of do everything for them then they don't really get the opportunity to sort of explore themselves or the world around them and find their limitations and um, which sort of leads them into, you know, uh, a refined sense of like who they are in the world and who they'd like to be. Totally. So as we're wrapping up here, Marion, can you let people know where to find you, how to contact sure. you if they have any questions about this? Sure. I, I love to work with parents. And if, you know, what I've said is appealing to you and you'd like to um, do a little more work with me, you can reach me at Marion, M-A-R-I-A-N, at Marion Sally, M-A-R-I-A-N-S-A-L-L-E-Y.com. Or you can um, call me at 303 8 Five nine two six one one, and I'd be happy to uh, talk with you. Um, I also have just uh, a couple of uh, small resources you might be interested in. Um, this one is especially important for if you have middle schoolers or teenagers, and um, it's called Brainstorm, and I think it's by Dan Siegel. It's a great uh, book. It's uh, very accessible. Um, it's a great thing to sort of talk about with your kids. And um, I also just came upon a really lovely article yesterday in this um, e-zine called um, Aeon, and it's A-E-O-N, and um, it's under their guide section, and it's just an article called How to Stop Yelling at Your Kids by Bonnie Harris. <laughs> Sounds so, pretty direct. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's all about um, sort of, again, as we were talking about, sort of asking yourself, uh, why do I have these assumptions? Where are they coming from? And I guess I want to end on, please be compassionate with yourself as a parent. That's the most important thing. Compassionate with yourself and your children. And remember, like, this is a long game. This isn't a short, you know, short uh, a stint. You're in it and everybody is allowed to have space to evolve and develop. Yeah, so important. Such a great message. Marion, thank you so much for being on the show. Listeners out there, if you've enjoyed the show, giving us a five-star review, sharing it with someone that might benefit, um, posting on social media, whatever it is, can really help to get these messages out there and hopefully get these resources to parents that can benefit from them. So thank you so much, Marion. Thanks so much, listeners. And we'll see you next week on another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.